This is episode number 212 of the Rising Man podcast with Eric McDonald. Things are not always what they seem. Welcome back to the Rising Man podcast. My name is Jetty Azuma here. I appreciate you joining me here today, whether it's your first time or you've been here for all 212 episodes of the podcast. Before I introduce my guest today, I want to make sure you guys know about our Rising Man Fire Circles. This is our virtual network of men all over the world who are supporting each other, learning how to be on a men's team, learning how to lead and be led, providing high level of accountability and continuity so that we can all rise up to be the best versions of ourselves. We're open. We got room for more men who want to join us. Risingman.org slash fire circles. You can go and get yourself signed up today. It's low cost, high commitment, high accountability. So get yourselves in there. I'd love to see you join us. All right. I guess for today is Eric Winged Bard McDonald. He explores the mystical through story, song, poetry, and his monthly blog. Eric holds a PhD in history, where he focused on the role of masculine cultural ideals in justifying and supporting the violence of plantation slavery. Currently, he teaches university courses, leads men's circles, holds mindfulness and meditation classes, and offers workshops in immersive creative expression. His mission is to support a vast culture shift while working to build and strengthen his local community. In this episode, Eric helped us understand modern masculinity through a historical lens. What history can teach us about manhood, the importance of creating cultural change, and the vital need for men who are willing to express an unpopular opinion and hold others accountable. We talked about the need to get uncomfortable in order to create real, meaningful change on an individual and societal level. We discussed the power of free creative expression for personal growth and its particular value for men who are uncomfortable with vulnerability. We reviewed what was culturally permissible in earlier historic contexts, such as the Roman times and Paleolithic revolution, and where the model of patriarchy came from and why patriarchy is not inherently bad. We talked about patriarchy and masculine control being not synonymous, not the same thing, and how that's devolved into what it is today. Everybody talking on Instagram about down with the patriarchy without actually knowing where it comes from. We talked about what happens when the pendulum swings too far in one direction, how men can be shitty stewards of masculinity, and how that's led to the need for a recovery and redefinition of masculinity. Lastly, Eric educated us on plantation slavery and how violence towards other races and classes has been justified over the years. This and so much more, without further ado, Eric McDonald. All right, Rising Man family, I've got another amazing man here joining me in the hot seat today, Dr. Eric McDonald, coming in live from Higgins Lake, Michigan, up in the Great Lakes region. How are you doing today, bro? Pretty good, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm really excited because I am, one of the things that people don't know about me is I was very interested in history back in, Mm. back in school. Uh, I never, I was, I didn't have really inspiring history teachers you know, I, I, so it wasn't like I wanted to become a historian, but I was always really fascinated by it. And then when I got older, I realized, oh, history is just a bunch of storytelling. And I, if somebody had told me that and I had a teacher who really embraced that when I was in high school, then maybe, maybe things mm-hmm. would be different. I don't know. But um, either way, I'm glad that folks like you have taken that route, especially because of the route you took with your studies in masculinity going all the way back to mm-hmm. you said the 1600s, correct? That's right. Yeah. So yeah, my, my way into being interested in history was I think the stories, right. And like any story, you can learn a lot, even if it's not intentionally trying to teach you a lesson, just hearing somebody else's story, hearing story of the past, it gives you that new perspective. And that's the thing I love about history is you can view something from a distance. You can look out, you know, 500 years ago and see the way that people were interacting what was influencing their actions, the way that they thought about the world. And it gives you that little bit of distance that we can't necessarily get um, from our own lives and our own cultural context and so forth. And uh, definitely never, never intended to end up studying masculinity, but uh, that's where I ended up. So and I'm glad I did. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, so we're going to dive more deeply and, and scrape all of the insides of your skull for all the information you got while we got you here today, <laughs> man. Before we do that, though, you know what's coming. I'm going to ask you, what does it mean to be a man to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I didn't know this was coming uh, as a listener to the podcast, so uh, a little bit prepared. And the way that I've been thinking about it is that to be a man is to be fully who you are. And I think the extent to which men can embody 
their sort of authentic selves or true selves and bring that out into the world is really a mark of a man and not the not the man that your society tells you to be or that your culture tells you to be or even your family and community about who you are and bring that to certain and bring in your certain gifts and medicine in that way because i can't be a man the same way that jedi zuma is man vice versa right i have to be a man the way that i am and that's that's sort of the way that i see it yeah, I like that. I was just uh, recording a podcast yesterday, actually, with a, with a guest who, who gave a very similar response to that. That it's something that is it is self defined and also self referenced, and that therefore we have to have experiences of other people modeling manhood and masculinity for us, which for many generations has gotten us into a lot of trouble. Right? <laughs> all all of this, a lot of the mm-hmm. popular stories of masculinity and what it looks like to be a man are exactly the ones that have brought about things like the Me Too movement and all mm-hmm. the questions of leadership, political leadership, and the state of the world and the world being run and this and patriarchy and all the all these larger social conversations that we're having now. Uh, so let, let's get right to it because your your study and expertise goes back hundreds of years, looking at this chain let's i always think of ancestry and generations as like a chain so we're mm-hmm. going way back several links in the chain to where we might be able to understand a little bit of how we got here so yeah yeah for me i think you know that's i, I love knowing the root of things right that's why i got into history that's why i study it um just knowing well where did all this start right how did we end up here how did we end up in this situation and particularly with my studies that question was around uh plantation slavery in the americas and I kept reading all these uh, books and articles about it. And it's this was this extraordinary thing, particularly violent, singular in the history of the world. And kind of like, well, why? You know, why did that happen? So I kept digging back and digging back. And the answer that I came to had a lot to do with what was culturally permissible within the culture of English society in the 1600s and 1700s, and then more specifically, the societies that were being created here in the Americas. But really, we could take it even further back than that, right? If we start, start if we keep digging, we go back to Roman times, we go back to the, you know, the Paleolithic Revolution, even maybe to some extent, when we see this transition toward these really patriarchal systems and so forth. So. Well, let's let's do that for a second, right? And obviously, you might have to dumb it down for me because uh, you're <laughs> already. I'm like trying to scratch my brain. I'm like, okay, <laughs> Paleolithic, like that. I remember seeing that in a textbook in, in Father <laughs> Peter's history, world history class. Uh, so, so let's let's go back a little bit farther, further than yeah. than where your expertise is, and just give us yeah. some some highlights of some things that were going on to start to pick up on these themes, and then we'll walk it forward through the years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess uh, the, the as far back as I'd probably be comfortable discussing would be the creation of the Roman Empire. And there was this, um, there was slavery that existed there. And there was a, a specific model of manhood that the Romans prescribed, which had a lot to do with things that we value in our own culture. Um, that would be things like austerity, you know, being being simple, being a leader, devoting yourself to service for the state, for the larger community and society, and not doing it for, with the expectation of reward, right? So those all sound like really good things. But then we look at the ways that it was put into practice and the things that go. were permitted, right? There's the ideal and then there's the practice. And over time, you permit a little bit more. Maybe you permit a little bit more violence. You give that elite man that has a special position in society a little bit more leeway to, um, you know, engage in sexual violence or beat his servants or whatever whatever that action might be that we would view as not a positive expression of somebody's manhood. And the tolerance of the society and the culture grows over time, at least in the way that I see it. So let's let's pause there for a second because this is this is I think this might be actually one of the linchpins here is mm-hmm. uh, and I I again I'm not a historian buff in fact a lot of my information about Roman times probably comes from these period piece movies and series <laughs> that I've watched but I'm sure it captures at least the essence and it and what it looks like is that like you said there was this culture there was this massive empire right maybe one of the largest mm-hmm. empires the world the earth has ever seen that was built on these ideals that you said like a lot of things that 
men these days would subscribe to, right? Being of service, being honorable, being integral, mm-hmm. taking care of your of your country, um, national, you know, pride in, in where you come from. And then there was, but then there was the practice, like you said, there was what was actually going on. And the things, like you said, uh, slavery, um, violence, uh, violence towards violence towards women, violence towards children, violence towards other people. And all of these things, a lot of which was was governed by what? What was at this time? What was the moral governing philosophy at this point? Uh, well, that would be really specific to kind of where where you were in the world and what your local communities, uh, maybe religious practices were, and, and moral practices and so forth. For, for the Roman Empire's part, they were very invested in the law. And actually, a lot of the legal precedents and ideas that they created, particularly around issues like slavery and government and more general governance as well, got adopted into English law and English codes over time, which then, of course, uh, trickled down into the United States and, and elsewhere as well. And the main governing force for those people would be, um, I don't know, I guess may- maybe meeting certain cultural ideals, which again, go back to those things that I mentioned, but also these, uh, the deities that they would have venerated and so forth in the pre-Christian era, um, and really ties back a lot to this idea of the community and civic duty and that sort of thing would be really centrally important. But the other thing that I want to highlight here that's really relevant to the larger conversation that ties into my expertise in the conversation we want to have is that the model of the patriarch of the family, the man that was the person that was uh, providing for the family, also keeping the family under a certain level of control, you know, uh, keeping his daughters and his wives within the cultural boundaries of the expectations for the proper behavior of women and so forth at the time. And so that was a really important model. The household was a reflection on the man. And if your household was out of order, it reflected poorly on you as a man. And so that's where we begin to see the permission to do things like use violence, right? That particularly in English culture, as we move forward into the medieval and early modern period, there's this tendency to um, say that, you know, violence is okay if it's being conducted in order to keep your family in, in line to a certain extent, right? Now, is that, was that actually written into the law? Like that was law or is that just cultural, mm-hmm. cultural practice? Um, it, it was more about practice, but it was, um, it was part of the legal code, but it wasn't so explicit, right? Because there's no like way to really define and say, this is, this is the boundary you can't cross, right? It was more up to the judgment of the individual magistrates and so forth. So, Well, and skipping around a little bit, I know sometimes yeah. in historical dialogue, we have to skip around. <laughs> I think of coming all the way up into the present day where I yeah. know in, in, in here and right in the United States right now, there's still, there's still places and regions, whether it's local legislation or statewide legislation, where certain levels of violence are permissible. Um, mm-hmm. hitting, your, hitting your children is, is, is allowed. Uh, and, and they even have uh, measurable standards, right? Like I think, I remember hearing a story about it was legal to hit your kids with a switch as long as it wasn't larger than a certain size. So they mm-hmm. actually built this stuff into the legal governing system as a way of, I, I guess, saying, hey, look, at least, at least we're putting some, some boundaries on the violence, but it's, but it's built in. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, so there's been a lot of work on this in early modern England and so forth. And there's this conversation there about how the state, the government encouraged that because if the household was orderly, there was a belief that the larger society and the larger state would be orderly as well. And so they kind of put the onus on the patriarch of a family. Like, hey, keep your family in line. And if you don't, it's kind of on you. And you're going to be looked down upon. You're not going to have fulfilled your duty as a man if your, you know, children are running rampant or your daughter is having premarital sex or whatever the cultural you know, stigma might be. But that reflects on you as a man. And so if you need to use violence in order to stop that from happening, go ahead. Right. Wow. So let's, first of all, let's just take a half step back and acknowledge that all of the legal 
processes and precedents at that time were being created by men, obviously, yeah. right? These were totally, yeah. these were scholars and legislators, but they were basically men. And I think I imagine men in robes, like sitting around all day <laughs> talking about you know these these codes. So yeah. there's there's obviously that piece that we don't want to skip over, and obviously we're making progress in in modern times, but certainly not the amount of progress that that needs to be had, right? So a, a lot of this. Uh, I guess historical foundation explains what's happening today, but it's also something that hasn't changed all that much over the course of time. Would you would you agree with that as you kind of survey things over the years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the core of the core of uh, my motivation for undertaking this line of study in my PhD program was an acknowledgement that you know. This is how something really extraordinary, right? Taking this extreme example of like plantation slavery where the violence that was being used to control the household back in England just kind of gets out of control, goes in this completely extreme direction, right? And seeing that that was actually not extraordinary for that culture, that it was within the bounds of the cultural limits, right? And so what I wanted to do was to highlight that in order to better understand what are we permitting in our own culture? What are we saying is okay that might not, be on a day-to-day basis seem terrible and extraordinary, but what is just on the other side of that limit that could be really potentially devastating? Yeah. Right. And potentially more harmful because it is so insidious, right? A lot of the Mm. conversation that's been happening in the past few years is about the unconscious participation in white supremacy, the unconscious participation in racism and patriarchy that's even more dangerous than the people who are consciously choosing that, right? Because they're because they, then we're just robotically participating in a system, not believing that everything's fine. Looking right. around and saying, "I don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm I, I don't feel that way. I'm not I'm not thinking less of people, but it's it's insidious. It's it's so built in. So mm-hmm. um, I want to I want to keep highlighting some of your expertise here because now you really have piqued my curiosity. You threw out the word patriarchy, and I'll say mm-hmm. honestly for myself the the conversations and dialogue that people are having about patriarchy right now i'm i'm one of those people that i'm all for more equality i'm all for let's let's change things that aren't working in our society i really believe in a future where everyone's kids are in a better position to thrive and survive right like i i, I want that and these conversations especially when we throw out these hot button topics when people take them to the extremes of the conversation i'm always the person that's like well let's just like Let's 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 get a little more curious about this before mm-hmm. we jump all all over the bandwagon because I think people are throwing out the word patriarchy and down with the patriarchy and into this without actually really knowing what we're talking about. So what I'm asking for you to do is to keep informing us now. Like you threw out patriarchy, mm-hmm. you said the model of patriarchy was really developed during these Roman times and it was put into practice. Obviously, had influences all the way through English law and forward. So, what are your opinions on? patriarchy from where it came from and how we got to where we are now and the parts of it that still exist. Right. Well, I guess I would say about that is that I think, well, like just about anything, it's not inherently bad, right? Mm -hmm. It is not the idea that we could invest the power and authority for, let's just take the household as a model, as an example, like in the man, as the leader of that household, the person setting the tone for the family, that's not inherently a bad thing. Right. It becomes perceived negatively when that man is acting outside of uh, the best interests of himself or his family. He begins to be an oppressor and control. I think there's this way that we've we've taken this synonym of patriarchy and kind of control, like masculine control, as synonyms, right? But they're not necessarily right. The patriarchy can be about leadership, but it's about making that shift in our consciousness and our culture to begin to look at something like the man being, quote unquote, in charge of the household, right? But begin to shift what that looks like in practice again. I really like that. At that that just put my whole body at ease. I got to tell you, man, I haven't <laughs> heard anybody say it like that because that's that's how I feel, right? Like the, the, I, the concept of a, of a man who in the dynamic he's in, in the relationship that he's in with his partner and his children to decide to be the the leader of his household 
is not inherently bad. In fact, if I put it in those terms and we left out the word patriarchy and I asked a hundred women, hey, are you looking for a man who can be a solid, integral leader for your household and for your children who will lay a, a moral compass for your children to follow and will take care and provide for what your family needs? I want to bet that almost all of those women would sign up for that. And if I told them, well, that's really the basis of patriarchy, you know, yeah. I, Ooh, I, I my, my own body just like recoiled a little bit when you said that. Right. Well, that's, and see, that's that's my problem <laughs> yeah. with this is that we take this term that actually means something else, and we put all of this energy into it, and we keep pouring yeah. energy into this term, and then even the positive parts of patriarchy that all of us would want to see in our men start mm -hmm. to get wrapped up in in what this is. And then right. we start to say, oh, well, you don't want me to be a leader of the household? Oh, well, you, you don't want me to make a stand or, or be assertive? That's scary, that's dangerous. Then now we start having the other end of the spectrum, right? What, right. I, I don't know what the social jargon is these days, but but guys who are basically soft and don't know how to stand for anything because they're afraid to, thinking that, oh, I'm going to be seen as some sort of dominant man who all he wants to do is is beat his wife and, you know, run mm -hmm. the world. And it's, it's, it's just, I think it's just irresponsible to be so polarized with these mm -hmm. words and these conversations. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's why I just, I love and respect the work that you do so much is like being able to, to balance that and bring bring more integrity to that role of being a man within a family and really redefine what that means. Right. Because to me, to be a solid patriarch, to be the leader of a family, you better believe I'm including my partner, my wife in that. Right. Oh, I'm yeah. enrolling her to be a major part of setting the tone and setting the direction for that family. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that taking on that role of being the patriarch doesn't mean sort of relegating the, the woman, the wife to the, to the sidelines. Yeah. So, and I think that the cause for those those big swings all from from one end of the spectrum to the other is because people don't know what the middle ground can look like, or we get we get so afraid of what patriarchy has been, the parts that seeped into this word, the violence, the dominance, etc., that made people afraid. And we get mm -hmm. so afraid of that being the outcome that we swing the pendulum in the other direction. And I think it's a, it's a bigger conversation about large social structures, you know, millions mm -hmm. of people discussing things like patriarchy and uh, systemic racism and, and all of these things. It's you're, you're bound to have at least a few opinions <laughs> when yeah. you're asking millions of people yeah. to participate in that conversation. You yeah. know, I think there's a lot more that can be done on the ground level, you know, starting with just conversing between two people and then in, in small villages and communities and really asking ourselves, what is our position on this mm -hmm. instead of where is the rest of the herd going with it? And what works well for your family and your community too, right? Like that might be different from place to place and situation to situation. And, you know, what is going to produce the, the best outcome, what's producing the most whole, uh, well-balanced, um, you know, most loving, um, most spiritually guided uh, situation for all the people involved in that, all the people involved, right? And I'm including everyone there. Um, and I wanted to go back to what you said too about this pendulum swing, right? Because this happens in, in every area. You know, if you're a student of history, whether it's politics or society or culture, that's kind of how things operate, right? And I'm a big, big proponent of like physics, right? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Well, like we just said, for thousands of years, men have been pretty shitty stewards of their authority, pretty shitty stewards of um, their role as leaders. And so the fact that there's a swing in the opposite direction doesn't bother me that much. I think it's probably actually necessary. And then we can maybe come back to the middle at some point, you know, and keep, keep, keep the conversation open, keep that dialogue open so that we can arrive there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think the, the hard part for for people who are living right now, right? It's like the, the sins of the father, right? It's like we're all mm -hmm. we're all reeling from the the actions and the decisions and the precedents that were set by our forefathers, by our by our literal fathers, but by our grandfathers, great, 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 great grandfathers, all of the men in our ancestral lines. And uh I personally, I have a hard time accepting responsibility for things that I wasn't here for, that I didn't directly do myself, that I don't really want to have any part of, 
but mm. I feel like I'm like I'm like I'm reaping what was sown by by my ancestors, and and I think a lot of people can relate to that. That's that's I think that's a very understandable instinctual reaction. Like, hey, why am I being punished for something that I I wasn't here for that I didn't consciously advocate for or support? How come I'm being you know put on the pike for something that mm. I literally wasn't alive for when it was put into motion? Now. The opportunity, right, after coming out of some of that instinctual, why is this happening to me place is, okay, you know what, I can't change that that happened. In fact, I'm the product of that and see myself as part of the solution instead of the problem. Well, yeah, maybe I didn't make those decisions. Maybe if I was alive back at that time, I would have. I don't know. I can't, I can't mm -hmm. say that. I wasn't there. But the fact is, is that I'm here now and I have the awareness that maybe my forefathers didn't. What am I going to do yeah. with that? What do I want to see that's different? And that's where we go from being in that victim place of like, well, why is this happening to me? Because I know there's a lot of guys out there mm -hmm. that are like, dude, it's it's a hard time to be a guy right now because the social pressures are really high. The microscope is really big. Everybody's mm -hmm. looking. It's like it's like trying to escape prison. And there's that spotlight, you know, those old prison movies where the spotlight's <laughs> rolling around. It's like it's like guys on the guys on the internet. Like, I don't know if I should say this because I might get canceled and then I'll never get a date again. And then mm -hmm. it's it's the the pressure is really high. And and I love what you said there is that that's that's not a bad thing. Because if I'm really living up to my moral integrity and my moral code and who I am, that's always going to shine through. The only reason to be concerned is if I haven't gotten myself above that moral line. If I'm not living in mm -hmm. accordance with what I believe is is the is the the right and just way to be a man on this planet and to help address and alleviate this problem instead of making it worse. Mm, yeah, I love that. I love the way that you turn that to to the opportunity, right? And I would I would go even further and say that it's also a responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. That you and I, as conscious men, as men who have done a lot of work for ourselves, like it's time to be able to start to heal some of those wounds. And it's funny, this is kind of way off the rails, but um, last night I had a nightmare. I never, never had bad dreams. I always have good dreams. Mm -hmm. Had a nightmare, woke up in the middle of the night, 4 a.m., just like in this panic state. And I got get this really clear message. You got to, you got to heal. What is it? You got to heal your ancestry. That came out nothing to do with the nightmare, but that was like the message that I woke up with. And I'm like, all right, I got to continue to do that work, you know, because that's been a big part of my own journey is digging back and seeing that pain there, right? Because we can we can get mad about the actions of our ancestors and so forth, but there's at the root of that is a lot of pain, and it's a lot of fear, and it's a lot of uncertainty within that. And to begin to shift that and transmute that uh, negativity. And that pressure and that weight and the desire to be angry and feel like the victim because, well, we didn't do that. It's just, it's not helpful. It's not useful. So if we can begin to, to change that story and begin to think about it in terms of this is a great opportunity. I mean, speaking for myself, I don't feel, I don't feel uh, like it's difficult to be a man right now. You know, I think that can be a story too, right? We can get out there and say, oh, everybody's out to get me. Everybody's out to criticize everything I say because I'm a man. Well, that hasn't been my experience anyways. And I feel like, you know, we can start to shift that too and, and, and use that as, a, as an avenue to take on responsibility, to shift our own. It doesn't have to feel oppressive to take on responsibility, as you know. Like that can be freeing, right? To have that mission, to have that goal, to begin to make those major shifts and changes. Yeah, it's a really great perspective, man. And it's all about the story that we want to say that we want to say about it. It reminds me of this father-son dynamic. I, I like to do this in a lot of the work I do with men because the relationship with our fathers is just so mm -hmm. foundational. Whether whether you, you never met your father or your father was the coach of your baseball team, right? It, it, and anywhere in the middle, we all are impacted by that first relationship with with our father. And it ma it makes me think about this process we go through, and I've seen it happen over and over again from as I've worked with them over the years, that moment where we have to realize that our fathers will only get so far in their lives, in their, in their conquest, in their mission as a mm -hmm. man, right? That they'll only get so far, um, spe specifically with the things we can see, whether it's career goals or personal goals, family goals, bigger picture goals, or more internal right? The, their journey of finding their way back mm -hmm. to their heart, finding their truth, healing what they received from their father and going all the way back down the line. So every single one of us has that day of reckoning where we realize that, oh man, my dad only got so far. He's only going to get so far. 
Mm -hmm. My dad may never heal that scarcity wound that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation and realize that either I'm going to pass that on or the buck is going to stop with me. And I'm going to have to figure out how to do something that even my father couldn't figure out how to do. And I don't care whether you think your dad was a really shitty dad or he was your hero. That is a really big undertaking to face off with. The, the thought that here's this, when we come into the world, there's this man that is an adult that's already established, right? Of, of how could we not put them on some sort of pedestal, right? And to imagine even that person was not able to vanquish this demon or heal this, this part of our ancestry. And now it's up to me. That can feel really overwhelming. That can mm -hmm. be downright scary realize, wow, there's nowhere, there's nowhere to look. There's nowhere to turn. It's up to me now. And I, I, it's, it's a little bit of a departure from the historical stuff, but I think it's so relevant yeah. to this conversation of healing things like masculine wounds and patriarchy to acknowledge what it actually takes to be that kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. And I think lately for me, I've been really trying to take the long view of this, right? I think for a while when I first started into doing men's work and really started on my own spiritual journey and so forth, like it did, it felt like all this responsibility and weight. And it just felt like almost too much, right? Too much to, to change the entire culture in the way that I feel that it needs to shift. You know, it's a lot of responsibility to take on. I'm really trying to step back and take a longer view, right? Like I'm going to do as much as I can right now in my life, continue to heal those ancestral wounds, continue to, try to help and support my community just to move a little bit, the pendulum a little bit further in the direction that I think it needs to go. Right. Um, and then hopefully my kids will, will be a little bit more healed, right. A little bit more whole and they can move the ball forward a little bit more because I think like, like we've been talking about, you know, this is long history, right. They expect, I think a lot of people, particularly in like the, the spiritual community and so forth, they, they have this expectation of like, well, we can shift right now, which I believe on some level. Right. But also, I'm willing to step back and say, you know, this is a long journey. We're just at the forefront of it right now. We're, the, we're at the start and we can do as much as we can to push the ball forward right now. And that's our responsibility and that's our duty, but then we got to pass it off. Yeah. And that's, that's the key, right? That's the only way that you yeah. can run a marathon, right? If you, yeah. if you, if you tell yourself, oh my God, there's this 26 mile race that I've got to run and I got to, I got to sprint to the finish line. I got to get there quickly. No, nah, man, nobody runs a race like that. Right. It's, yeah. it's the slow and steady. It's one step at a time. It's how you climb a mountain. And so I really, like, I'm really glad that you bring in that perspective. I think that's actually another place where I've found a lot of relief is taking some of this pressure off of my shoulders that it's not my job to heal patriarchy in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not, that's, that's mm -hmm. not squarely on my shoulders. I, I definitely want to be a participant in that. I obviously yeah. with everything that I do, I want to participate in that, but it's not on my shoulders. That's, that's how I was operating in the world when I was in my early twenties. For some reason I had this hero complex where I thought <laughs> I need to be the one to figure all this out for everybody else. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm sure if, you know, we can dig into my childhood psychology and there's, there's things I've looked at that I'm like, Oh, well, that makes sense. Why I thought that now, but I know a lot of, uh, a lot of men who are looking for vision and purpose in life can feel that way. Sometimes that the, the, the enormity of what we feel like we need to accomplish with this one life that we have this, however many years that we're gifted on this planet can feel so big so that these really large looming issues in our society look like these things that, ah, how could I possibly take that on. And unfortunately, like I did, a lot of men choose to resign, withdraw, you know, mm -hmm. take back seat, check out when really we need guys who are willing to lean into that. Even if the, the, the point is not to plant seeds so that we can bear the fruit later in life, it's to plant seeds. So somebody will be able to eat the fruit of those trees, you know? Yeah. So, um, I want to, I want to pivot a little bit because, well, first of all, do you have a, a response to that before we? Yeah. I was just going to say that my, my kind of solution for that too, because I've definitely like gone through that and there's been, been times where I've just wanted to give up because it just felt like too much. Mm -hmm. My solution to that is always focus on, focus on the immediate, right? The community around you. And that's really in the last year or so, that's really how I've shifted my focus. Like, I'm not going to, I don't want to go out and try to convince everybody else of the way that I think, right? But I can start to look around in my local community, provide tools, provide a container to provide context for men to be able to come together and start to heal some of those things there. And if, 
you know, we all start to, to do that in our local communities. That's the way you create change. You can't do it top down, right? That's the whole problem with patriarchy and the way that it's operated. It's always this, here's the way that things are and this, this force, right? This, this, um, this take it, take it or take it and you don't have an option to leave it <laughs> like that kind of, that kind of mentality, right? Like this is the way that things are. We're going to force it down your throat. And that's just not the way that I've found you can create meaningful change because you're always just going to come up against resistance, right? Um, but being able to, to, yeah, to take that big problem and bring it down to your small community and recognize what you as an individual can do. And for me, I just had, I just came to a limit of understanding what my capacity was to be able to hold at this point in time in my life. And it's not changing the entire culture. It's, it's helping to support my community and the 10 or so families that are here. So I think that's a really important one too, man. I, I, I respect a man who recognizes his current capacity. I, I don't ever want a man to settle and say, oh, well, I've, I've maxed out, like I've maxed out my potential. But I do think it's a very responsible thing to recognize what is my capacity to be of service towards this specific issue right now. Mm-hmm. I, I'm one of the first people who be guilt, who admits guilt, being guilty of this, where I take on more than I know than I actually can handle, or mm-hmm. I'll I'll take on a bigger project than I'm actually ready for. And I see a lot of guys doing this. I actually did a podcast on this several months ago, where I was I was calling out all of these guys who want to start a, a brand new men's organization, and I wasn't trying to discourage anybody from doing that. I just wanted to bring some attention to hey let's really, really pay attention to what is your capacity to hold what you're calling in right now. Cause I've seen a lot of people take off a bigger bite than they can chew. And then it's not, it's not that it has consequences for that individual, but it also has greater ramifications for not being able to fill those shoes. So I have a lot of respect for what you just said, saying that, Hey, I'm, I'm going to focus in on my community right here and understand what my responsibility is, what my abilities in this moment are, and then build from there instead of feeling mm-hmm. like it needs to be this, this big chunk that we take out of the pie, you know, cause that's, that it's, it's, it's too much work for one person. Yeah. And then, and then you, you can fall into being overwhelmed, overworked, stressed out, and then you're not showing up as your best self into what you're doing. Right. So. Mm-hmm which I know nothing about. <laughs> You've kidding, never been totally, overworked, have you? I've totally been that guy. Totally been that guy. Um, but yeah, I want to, I want to pivot a little bit to, I know, I know a lot of your uh, historical studies have been on plantation slavery. And mm-hmm. obviously we were talking about, we were already addressed patriarchy and some of its origins through the Roman empire, et cetera. But mm-hmm. what were some of these other thematics that you studied in depth and that, that you think are relevant to this modern conversation on masculinity? Yeah. So I guess the first piece that I would bring in is just the way that the cultural context of that we spoke to already, that early modern England, Roman times, where there was this certain level of violence that would be permissive, permitted uh, in order to accomplish these main things of manhood. Well, the other aspect of that, aside from sort of keeping control over the household, the other aspect of manhood that was really prevalent in that culture was martial honor. So going out and fighting the ability to engage in battle in a very specific way. And so here you have the two main means to demonstrate that you're quote unquote, a man. And both of them involve violence really intimately. Right. And so the way that that gets carried over, into the Americas is that you're taking away when people came to the Americas, first came to the Americas and started setting up these plantations that had slaves and then slowly shifting toward toward these full-fledged slave plantations that we think of. Um, They're coming away out of that context that had those social limits, right? That had those, the, the community around you saying, no, that was too much. You can't, you can't do that. Um, you can't go that far. You're putting them into this place where there's no, that oversight doesn't exist. The state oversight doesn't exist. The community oversight doesn't exist. It's just a bunch of men, most of them young, most of them coming from a background of being in the army or being pirates, these very violent ways of life. And so, yeah, they're going to enforce their will through violence. And particularly, they're going to be inclined to do that when it's against somebody that doesn't look like them, right? That they've identified clearly as an other. And then as they get 
more and more to be the minority in those slave plantation situations, then you get fear coming in, right? You get that, that, that constant fear that they're living with, that they're slaves, which outnumber them, which outpower them, are going to come and kill them. And so how do you deal with that fear? Well, if you're one of those men, what do you know? You know violence. You know, you know this world where power is achieved through physical force. So that violence begins to escalate and it begins to be acceptable. And so the reason that this is relevant and how I'll kind of tie it back in is understanding that, yeah, within that cultural context of early modern England, violence wasn't great, but the, the community had come together and it put limits on it, right? It couldn't arise to this extraordinary level that it eventually does within plantation slavery. But you remove some of those protections, right? And we find out that actually that culture is very permissive of this other level, this other just seemingly inhuman level that people look at and say, wow, that was a really extraordinary thing, right? Well, in a lot of ways, it wasn't that extraordinary. That It was already built into the culture that this was okay. And so that ties me into just thinking about the ways that what are we doing in our culture right now? What are we doing in our daily lives? And kind of back to what you spoke to as far as you know, that sort of tacit uh, participation in the systems of oppression and inequality and so forth. Uh, what are we doing that doesn't seem that bad, but that if the context changes a little bit, right, suddenly there's going to be this avenue for those little things to become really out of hand. That makes sense. Oh, it totally makes sense. And what, one thing that I just want to bring to light is you said that a lot of these, a lot of these men who were running plantations and these these huge operations back at that time, they were young men. And so, so mm-hmm. how how old were were these guys? You know, that were running these large plantations and these large operations. Well, it varied. I mean, so I, my dissertation focused on the island of Barbados, and early on, I mean, most of the guys that were coming there were in their twenties, right? They're young, young yeah. guys. Yeah. Right? So, like, I mean, early twenties. Yeah. Early twenties, even even thirties, right? Because I mean, mm-hmm. the life expectancy was obviously much lower at that time. So, mm-hmm. the guy in their twenties or thirties was already like getting close to middle age, right? <laughs> or, or at middle yeah. age, right? And so, I, I just thought that was an interesting thing to bring into into perspective. That just imagine, uh, you know, a guy right now here in twenty twenty two in their early to mid twenties with all of this response, like you just laid out. You just you just laid out what that life looked like through the eyes of somebody who was coming to the Americas with this idea of manifest destiny of, Hey, you can create a better life for yourself. There's a land of opportunity, all of the messages that they were told to get them out here and then arriving and then being put in this position where all of a sudden now they're in a survival mode and fear is being triggered. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I could, it, it helps me tap into some of my empathy and compassion for, oh, well, now some of those decisions make sense. And going back to what I said before, yeah, I wasn't alive during that time making those decisions, but now I can start to understand them, not justify them or mm-hmm. for, for, forgive yeah. them. But okay, that, that actually paints a little bit of a picture of why that makes sense and and helps me to understand how we got to the, to this point a little bit more. So that, I think that's yeah. really important to think about. And I don't, I don't want to paint it like making excuses or, 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 saying that it was okay because of that it's more about um translating that to understand like our own responsibility and our own culpability in the things that are still happening in, within our society today right like right. um we we have this tendency to to blame the you know just just blame the person blame the individual and not take any of the responsibility on for ourselves you know you look at this these like outbursts of violence and so forth um you know these mass shootings and everything it's like Oh, that person, we can vilify that person. That's sort of the easy way to take it, right? And not to take away their own individual responsibility, but to also look at like as a culture, as a society, like what are we doing that's pushing these people into such isolation, such fear and such just pain that that is their action in the world. That's what they they choose to, to do. And like, again, not not excusing it, but just trying to, to shift some of that responsibility onto us, onto us, particularly us individuals that are relatively stable men, you know, and like, how can we begin to make that shift? Right. Yeah. 
and I I always think that taking responsibility is is wherever wherever possible that's the right move, um, especially when it comes to the hard things and and just admitting that we're participants in something. We're so afraid of being singled out, of being mm-hmm. like you said, vilified or cast out. And when when this whole idea of cancel culture came in and this mob mentality of like you know hey someone did something that we don't like so we're going to make their life hell that's where i started to again i started to push back on that and say well hold on a second right yes let's let's hold people accountable to their individual actions and their decisions and the consequences of them let's let's do that and let's also first look in the mirror and see how how did we create that Right. Mm-hmm. How did it's it's a very uncomfortable thing to say, and it's certainly not the popular mm-hmm. dialogue. But how how have how have I helped to create mass shooters? Mm-hmm. How have I how have I helped to create men who uh, beat their wives and beat their children, or uh, childhood childhood uh, slavery, uh, sex trafficking, all of these really mm-hmm. just vile practices in our in our culture? None of us want to see ourselves as part of that. And understandably so, right? I, I don't want to wake up and say, all right, I'm willingly participating in child sex trafficking. It's like, whoa, I don't, I don't want to see it's myself. It's a lot to take on, light. yeah. It's a lot to take on. But also, if we're all willing to look mm-hmm. at it from that perspective, like, okay, what, what has been my role in this so far? And now what can I do with it? I don't yeah. think there's a more noble path than that. I don't think that pretending like we don't participate in it is more noble than taking responsibility. And that's where the change comes to, right? Like we can, we can keep, you know, imprisoning people that, that do wrong things, you know, but you're just sort of like playing whack-a-mole, as I like to say, you know, you're, you're, you're hitting the symptoms, but if we don't start to correct the underlying causes of this stuff, like there's, and that's going to require a major shift, a major change. But if we don't start to, to make that change, it's just going to keep getting worse. We're not going to stop these mass shootings in any other way, other than to make a real hard, take a hard look at ourselves and begin to make fundamental shifts at a much deeper level, at a much cultural level, and kind of tying back in my, my studies into slavery and so forth, there's, there's been this tendency within the profession to kind of say like, well, violence got out of hand within plantation slavery. It became this extraordinarily oppressive thing because of economics, right? There was this shift toward profits and capitalism and the dehumanization of individuals. But I say like, well, wanting profits doesn't um, doesn't sort of free me from responsibility in my actions, right? Like we allow corporations, for example, today to do certain things in the name of profit. We're permitting that to happen, right? We're permitting the, the destruction and the rape of Mother Earth and all of these other exploitative labor practices and so forth that are continuing to go on today. Like we're allowing that to happen because we're saying that it's okay in the name of profit. It's not, the, it's not the pursuit of economics that's making that okay. It's us as a culture and us as a society. Yeah. Really well said, man. Um, man, time flies. What a, what a great, yeah. di- what a deep dive into some of this more historical. I know I learned a lot today. You've definitely stirred up some thoughts in me. I, I really appreciate the way that you're able to 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 toe the line, right? Not in a not in a hesitant way, but just in a very honest way with how you speak about, hey, there's these there's these real legitimate things that happened in our history. Let's just own it, right? Let's just say that yeah. that's what happened, and then let's also look at, hey, we, we're currently participating in a society that's a result of these things, and what do we want to do about it? You've got a very disarming way of presenting the information that that doesn't that I think won't invoke a lot of that shame and guilt that men are so. Um, so susceptible to these days. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm just, I'm like, I, I know I study the his, history and I teach history, but uh, you know, I'm not interested in getting caught up in the past. Like what can we do now? Like how can we push forward? Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's what I hope to, uh, to embody in my life and encourage other guys to do too. So. That'd be a great line for your IG profile. I'm a historian, <laughs> but I'm not caught in the, caught up in the past. <laughs> uh, awesome, man. Well, it's been an honor to have you on here today, man. I really appreciate yeah, taking thank the time you. and everything you shared. I'm going to hit you with the lightning round and then you can tell us everything about what you got going on. Okay. All right. All right, man. So what is one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? Um, just one thing, huh? Um, I think one thing I've been, been revisiting lately is just, I think an, getting an understanding that most people don't know what they're doing and they don't really know why. 
I think I always like looked up, looked at people and it seemed like they had their stuff together. They were like doing really well. And I was kind of like judged myself against there and felt uncertain. And if I just knew that people were just kind of making it up a little as they went along, like I'd feel a lot more relaxed, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't hear that till I was 27. I could definitely yeah. use 10 more years of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Um, compassion, mm-hmm. you know, bringing that compassion. And I think about like when I was a, when I was a young, young lad, you know, if, if a man in a position of authority or power or that I looked up to, I just put an arm around me and showed mm-hmm. compassion for what I was going through, having a rough time as a teenager or whatever it might be. Like, damn, that would have been powerful. So. Yeah. Especially a man who can, <laughs> who can be assertive and compassionate at, at the yeah, right time. Exactly. Right. Like yeah. to have both. Like I, I, I love those, those people in my life who have been able to do both. I think that's a good balance. Um, okay. And then what is one thing the world needs more of from men right now? I, and actually more mm. or less of from men mm. right now. Mm. Um, I guess I'd go back to, to kind of what I said earlier, like more leadership within our local communities. You know, I think we've, we're kind of trained in our culture to be, uh, trying to rise to the, to the cream of the crop, right. Become the, the big shot CEO or become the, uh, you know, best basketball player or whatever, whatever line of work you're in, like you want to kind of like become famous for it. And there's that obsession, but like, man, if you just, just had more men, just focused on their neighborhood around them, you'd be in a lot better shape. I love that, man. All right. So now's, now's the moment. Tell everybody where to go to find you, follow you, check out all the latest things that you're dropping. Yeah. So, um, the best way if you want to get in touch with me is on Instagram. Um, it's at Eric McDonald speaks. And uh, you can request to follow me on there. I'd love to, love to connect on there. Um, and then just this week, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but as of two days ago, I launched uh, my baby, my website, uh, wingedbar.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, on there, it's not history. So if you were like glossing over during the history bits today, um, it's not history. It's, it's, it's a blog. It's my reflections on spirituality. A lot of it digs into this... N- this call, this invitation to deeper cultural change, to making difficult decisions, um, to getting uncomfortable um, in order to create more meaningful change. And then I've got stories on their myths, uh, short stories with, with analysis. Um, and it all kind of centers around my, my view on the world, which is very much in line with uh, mysticism and, and the unknown. So I'd love to have people jump in there and subscribe. So. Awesome, man. Everybody make sure you go check that out. We'll put the information for Eric's new website and all the information you just said there inside the show notes. Eric, man, uh, always an honor to connect with you and chat with you. I feel like I got so much value today myself. Just you you, you, you armed me with enough information to make me dangerous. So thank you for doing that. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) Don't blame Um, me. I don't want anybody calling me about that. Well, you can't back out of it now, man. It's on wax. So that's true. That's true. Uh, but yeah, man, a lot of respect for what you do. Wish you the best. And uh, yeah, hope to see you again in the flesh sometime soon. Yeah, man. Me too. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed that wisdom. Eric is a very special man. So make sure you go follow him and find out what he's up to. What a beautiful, what an amazing breadth of information he has. I love this episode. One of my favorite ones in a long time. Swing over to risingman.org. Check out all the links and resources for this episode and every other episode over there. Please subscribe to the podcast and hit us with those five-star reviews on iTunes and Spotify. Make sure you check out our YouTube channel as well, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. Big ups to the team, to the crew, to the rising man family all across the world. So much love for you until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.